morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Good to be together with you. My name's Tim, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. Uh, great to have you all with us today. It's been a hot week, hasn't it? And, uh, you know, we've had it so nice this summer, haven't we? <laughs> kind of spoiled with July. And uh, I understand there may be a break in the weather by the end of the week. So uh, hang in there. We're going to get to the fall. I can't wait. <laughs> okay. Again, if you're first time with us, we're glad that you uh, came and visited with us today. And you're going to find a bulletin. If I hope you got one of these. Uh, if you don't have one, just nudge somebody and take theirs next to you. And they'll go get one. But uh, inside, there's a lot of stuff that's coming up. Uh, here uh, at Greater Alton Church. A lot of our ministries are busy this this summer and uh, getting ready for school to start. Probably going to notice on the inside something about Krispy Kremes. And uh, our teen ministry is selling Krispy Kreme donuts on the 20th. And Joe, uh, where's Joe McKenzie? Joe here anywhere? Where'd he go? Joe's in the back. Okay, Joe's, Joe's in charge. Text Joe. I've put his cell phone there. So give Joe a text. In fact, you want to do that right now and just say, Hey, Joe, I understand you're selling some dough. And so maybe he could tell you what to know about... Oh, that was bad. Okay, anyway. Uh, anyway, that's going on. Uh, and and we're, we, they use the money they raise to help uh, make the, their activities affordable for everybody. That's what they use it for. So I thought that's kind of cool. Also, the campus ministries next week's having a retreat called Brave, and we're going to be looking at... Going to be looking at courage and fear and all the stuff in between those two and our faith. Uh, that's going to be happening at Pierre Marquette. Also, uh, you know, on the back page, upper left, you're going to notice a, a new book that we're we're promoting for our small groups. It's um, it's by Randy Harris. We're going to be looking at. We're going to be uh, in a couple of weeks starting a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be going through this in our small groups and our discipleship groups. And try to get a copy of that. You can get it at the bookstore if you like. You can order it. Right, Jafer? Can we order it there? We don't know. She just find out about it? You just read? Okay, all right. You just read about it. Our bookstore just found out about it. So, okay. Okay, I don't know what the price is. That's something you can figure out. Okay. And, and, but you can get it, you can get it as an ebook, I believe, as well, if you need to. That's whatever way you want to do that. Uh, but the bookstore can help you direct you to find a copy of this book. We're going to be going through this um, beginning in a couple of weeks. Uh, there's a marriage retreat coming up. Uh, it's on September the 5th. Uh, it's going to be for our married couples. It's uh, be called Meet Me in St. Louis. And we're going to be meeting in, near downtown St. Louis, right by Union Station at the Pear Tree Inn. How do you get there? Take 64, cross the bridge, Market Street, exit uh, at, just after the stadium, make a Ralphie there, a right and you'll see it right there at the T. It's got a light blue um, roof, and you can't miss it. Easy to get to. And we're going to be looking at the things in our marriage that are right under our noses. We live next to a metropolitan city that has so many different interactions, and yet I wonder how many of us really, when's the last time we've been to some of these? And uh, that same is true with marriage. Some of the best stuff in marriage are the simple things, the real simple things that are right under your noses. And we have people speaking uh, at this uh, retreat that, we probably haven't heard maybe before at a retreat uh, or um, in a long time. You know, I know that uh, Chris and Debbie Weiler are going to be sharing some things about uh, communication. And we, I've asked Paul and Jerry, Jenny Mariolis to talk about some stuff uh, following up behind them. And uh, we've got Mike and Kim Kickmeyer helping us with a devo- doing a devotional with some help from some of our other couples. It's going to be good to hear some other, other folks, okay? It's going to be a lot of fun. 
And uh, if you want to know more about that, talk to the Welcome Center or talk to, to Denise, my wife, or talk to me. I'll try to point you in the right direction. And the 20th of September, and I, I know I sound, maybe sometimes I feel like a commercial here, but guys, I want, I want to make sure you know about this. Uh, you know, you forget what you hear after about an hour. You forget what you hear most of 80%. Isn't that wonderful after 24 hours? So hope you got this percentage here. Keep it locked in. We're doing a church seminar called Aiming with Purpose. That's on the 20th here at Greater Alton. Starts at 9 a.m. We're going to be looking at one of the things we're going to be looking at is why do we get together on Sundays? You know, what's the real purpose of it? A lot of us here, when we come to church, guys, our focus is on something else. It, it needs to be needs to be more focused. We need to be trying to hit the target. What does God want us to focus on? What did the early church do on Sundays, and what were they about? And that's what we're after here at Greater Alton. We want to be like the early church as close as we can in the 21st century. Okay. We've been looking at this series called Identity. We've been looking at who you are. You know, do you know who you are? Anybody ask you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And you'll say, well, I'm this. I do. We might define who we are by what we do, by our vocation, or maybe we define ourselves by uh, the way we look or the things we own, or sometimes we'll even identify ourselves by what somebody else says. And yet the Bible tells us that God is the one that really defines you and I. If you really get down to it, what other people say about you, whatever you've experienced in life, you know, uh, what the culture wants, really doesn't identify you like your creator. That's what we've learned. And I know we've been, we've been talking about this identity stuff for several weeks now. I think Gary's going to wrap it up next week. Uh, he's going to wrap up the sermon series. And I just hope you, I hope you're benefiting from this. I get a lot of feedback from you, not just through the cards, because I pray over those cards and pray through those cards, those communication cards. That's what's in your bulletin there if you're wondering what that is. That's a chance for you to write out a decision or maybe a prayer request, and our prayer team will um, will pray for you all week. I get those cards as well, and uh, I get them electronically now. And so I'm seeing them within the hour after the services are over. And so uh, and I, pr- I pray over those and, and, and pray for you as well. But... Um, Getting a lot of feedback. Some of you after church last week, uh, last couple of weeks, were like, oh, man, Tim, this is really just... I had one guy text me saying, this is really helping me. This is one of the most practical series, uh, sermon series I've ever had. I went, really? Wow. You know, and I thought, that's fantastic. That's great feedback. And some people say, I'm still confused. You're not helping me. I get that, I get that feedback too. And, and I know I can sometimes be confusing. And I pray for clarity today as we look at our identity in Christ. But I, but I want you, I know it's a nerve. I know a lot of us here struggle with who am I really? What am I really supposed to be doing with my life? Because who you are will define what you do with your life, right? 2004, there was a guy by the name of Benjamin Kyle. And I listened to the 911, uh, well, I listened to the 911 message of, of this fella. He was found behind a Burger King near the dumpsters, unconscious, beat up with an inch of his life, and he was completely nude. He had no identification on him. In fact, let me give you a little short glip here up on the screen. It tells you a little bit about Benjamin Kyle. Hello, my name is Benjamin Kyle. You don't know who I am, and quite frankly, neither do I. For the past six years, I've been looking for something. Something just out of reach. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but who 
are you? Oh, Hector has been hurt in a horrible accident. He can't remember who he is. He goes, Amnesia. I don't have a social security number, but I'm still a person. Nobody has recognized me, but I still have a past. I'm going to tell you my story because I want a future. I can't do this by myself. This is my SOS. My name is Benjamin Kyle, and this is my story. You see, Benjamin Kyle, that's how I saw his real name. They used the initials of Burger King, BK, and made up a name for him. You know, it's been since 2004, 10 years now, he still doesn't know who he is. This man has been on Dr. Phil. He's had the FBI do DNA and fingerprinting of him. They put him on Interpol. They know this about him. He's never broken a law. They know that about him. He said he was relieved to find that out. <laughs> Wouldn't that be Some of you here would be going, that'd be nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But, but you know what I'm saying? It's a, I, he, doesn't know who, he doesn't know who he is. He still doesn't know who he is. He has been on the Internet. In fact, there's uh, the woman, a nurse, took him into his home and has been trying to help him find his identity now for 10 years. This guy does, Imagine that for a minute. If that was you. You come to church here and you're shaking hands. How you doing, Tim? How are you doing, Bob? Everybody say, they know you by your first name. You know who you are. Here's your family. And then the next day, just like that, you don't know who you are. You have no idea. And nobody can tell you. And Dr. Phil, on his program, one of the things he said that's really frustrating for him, he said these words. He said, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life because I don't know who I am. A lot of people struggle with this. You don't have to have amnesia. We're shaped by so many things. I, think, I look at my life. I just look at my life alone, and I think about the things that have shaped my identity over the years. The experiences I have had growing up in an alcoholic home. The, the, the kind of friends I had, the teachers I've had, the rejection I've faced, the ridicule that I've endured. The good and the bad and the ugly have all had an impact on who I think of myself as, who I see myself as. And you know what? The same is true for you. Moses was a fellow who struggled. We've been learning this, haven't we? Moses was a man who struggled with who he was. He had an identity crisis. In fact, you'll find several people in the Bible were facing those moments. They faced an identity crisis and God helps them. God helps them figure out who they are and he wants to help you this morning if you're wondering who you are sometimes you go I don't know I don't even know myself I don't even know what I'm about anymore Tim I got new good news for you God wants to help you find your true identity he wants you to make a positive identity on about yourself praise God he's your creator and he knows he knows how you tick and he knows everything about you better than you do better than your friends do better than your closest friend Look at this passage. I thought this was, a, this was interesting. I was, I was trying to figure out, does Moses have any connection with what I'm talking about today? And then this passage just flew off the computer screen. Look what it says. This is Moses. He thought it was better to suffer for, for the Christ than to have all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for God's reward. Here's a guy that was born poor in poverty, raised in a palace, in an Egyptian palace. He doesn't really know who he is. Am I Egyptian? Am I Hebrew? He begins to see the difference between he and the rest of the people in the palace. And then he begins to 
explore and begins to look at himself. He realizes he was adopted. He realizes that, that he wasn't raised, you know, in a Hebrew home. And so he begins to go on this search. He, because he's confused, he makes some poor choices. And you will make poor choices when you don't know who you are. He kills an Egyptian, reprimands a couple of Hebrew guys, and they tell him, who, who died and made you boss? Basically, who are you? Who do you think you are? And he runs into the wilderness, takes care of his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years until a burning bush appears, and it's there that he, he discovers that he's Moses and who he's, who he's to be. And he makes this decision. He says, he goes, you know, Tim, I realized it was better to suffer for Christ. Wait a second. You know Jesus Christ? You're an Old Testament guy. Jesus is in the New Testament. Well, technically speaking, he's in the Old Tim. Okay, before the cross. But a little bit after? I mean, he's, he's there. Okay? I just know Moses was generations before Jesus. And the Hebrew writer tells us, wants us to understand that Jesus Christ had something to do with Moses' identity to help him see himself. You see that? And how's that possible? Well, somehow, Moses got the idea that the Messiah was coming. Somebody taught him about Jesus Christ, about the coming Messiah. In fact, look what he says in Deuteronomy here up on the screen. He says this to the people of Israel. He says, The Lord your God will give you a prophet like me, who is one of your own people, listen to him. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. He says there's going to be a day when someone's going to be coming out of your ranks that's like me. Now, wait a second. Which Moses is, he, is Jesus going to be like? The confused one or the confident one? Well, we figure it out, don't we? We see that. Jesus Christ isn't confused about who he is. He knows exactly why he's on earth. In fact, he's very secure into who he is, and nothing stops him from accomplishing what he came to earth to do. And what I notice about this is that when he says a prophet like me, Moses is saying, I'm like him. I've got my identity straightened out. I'm no longer the confused, I don't know why I'm here kind of guy. I'm like this guy that's coming. I'm like Jesus. And that's why he could say, I would rather suffer for Christ than have all the, all the stuff in Egypt. The reward is much better. You see that connection? You following me so far? You see, Moses found his identity in Christ. Look at this. Uh, there's a guy, he's a physicist from the 17th century. Blase? Is that his name? Blasi? Blase? Pascal? Buzz, what, is that? what is that? Blaze. Okay. Sounds like a... Uh, WWF wrestler, Blaze. Blaze Pascal. Now, here's what he says, okay? Look at this. This is a guy who was a philosopher and a, a physicist in the 17th century. He goes, not only do we know God through Jesus Christ, we, but we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We only know life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of our life, the meaning of our death, the meaning of God, or the meaning of ourselves. It is only in Christ. He says you find your identity in Christ. And by the way, this term in Christ is in the Bible quite a bit. Did you know that? It's in the Bible 140 times. About 140 times you find this term in Christ or in Him. And about 35 of those verses, when it mentions about being in Christ, it connects it with your identity, who you are. 
You can know who you are when you're in Christ. What's it mean to be in Christ? It means to be a Christian. Now, I'm talking to three kinds of people here this morning. I know that. Some of you here are not Christians. You have not made Christ Lord of your life. You may have made a commitment to go to church. You may have made a commitment to be religious, but you've not made a commitment to have a relationship with God because it will literally change your life. That's how you know. And so, some of you say, so if I'm in Christ, I can know who I am? Yeah, and if you're not in Christ, you are not going to discover who you are. You're, either somebody else is going to define it for you, a person, or your culture is going to do it, or your experiences are going to do it. But they won't be right. It'll be inaccurate. You, it won't really be who you are. So I say to you, if you're not a Christian, if you wonder if you're a Christian, if you wonder if you're a Christian, I would think maybe you might not be a Christian. I want, I want to encourage you to pursue a relationship in Christ. Second group of people, you're in Christ, but you're mixed up. What do you mean? Well, you're kind of in Christ and you get out of Christ. And you think you're in Christ and you think you're, out, you're kind of living this double life. You're not really totally in, but you're not really totally out. You're kind of just in the middle here somewhere, and you find yourself drifting between the two. What a confused person you've got to be. You're living two different lives. That's got to be frustrating. And it's time for you to make a decision. Amen? I say to you, it's time for you to make a decision to be in Christ, and then you find out who you are. And then there's a group of you that are in Christ, you love the Lord, you're devoted to God, and you just need reassured today and maybe need some encouragement today to remember these things because like we talked about last week, identity theft, you've got your identity, but folks, the truth is it can be stolen again. Just because you, oh, I got it all, I got my identity back and I see who I am, you, it can be stolen again. And you don't, I don't want that to happen to you. You don't want that to happen to you. So today, it's going to encourage you. So whether you're not a Christian, or you're not sure where you are, you're in the middle somewhere, or you're a bona fide Christian, okay, I want you to know today, God wants to reassure you from a fella who was very confused about himself too. His name was Peter. Like Moses, he had an identity crisis. Uh, Somebody last week came up to me and said, you know, when you read about Peter, in just a few chapters, he's called Simon. He's called Peter, and he's called Satan. Now, that would confuse you. (laughs) Jesus calls him Simon one time, then he calls him Peter one time, and then he calls him Satan. Well, which am I, Lord? So you can see this guy's really struggling about who is he, and look what he says. He says in 1 Peter 2, this is our text today, that we see in this passage... One of those 35 verses that describes your identity connected to the Lord's. When you're connected to Jesus Christ, when you're in Christ, you discover these things. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. What a statement. What a statement. Once He's saying once you were a nobody, but now you're somebody. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
A lot of stuff here. I want you to get your pencil out of your pen. Let's circle some words. I like to mark up Scripture. It says, you are a chosen people. Would you circle chosen? And would you also circle royal priesthood? After that, circle holy. I'd like you to circle God's special possession. Oh, underline it. Let's bust it up a little bit here. I'd like you to circle, you are the people of God. And then, well, we got to circle this last one. You have received mercy. Peter is telling these people, he writes two books, and he says in this particular book to these people, you need to know something, because you're in Christ, well, it's, it, there's some identity things, there's some things that identify you because you're in Christ. There's a, there's a, I don't know how much traveling you do. I, I'm not one of those preacher, preachers that says, I've done a lot of traveling, you know. They don't know me at the airport. We go, Denise and I go on vacation, or we might, you know, fly, we fly out to Oregon. We did that, uh, this past, you know, a few months ago. And then we flew, uh, a couple years ago to Cancun and I come back sick as a dog and everybody thought I was dying at the family fun thing. Remember that? I was sitting there like an old man covered up and, and oh, it was awful. I was sicker than a dog. I drank the water. Listen, don't drink the water. It's bad. You know, we were, we're here we are going to Cancun or we're going to Oregon and you know that security. You gotta, you gotta go through the TSA people. Right? You, and you see it on the news, or if you ever went through, hit or flew, you go up, they check your bag, and then you got to go in this little machine. You got to put your hands up like this, and they go whoop, 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 and then you hear somebody say, "There's nothing there." I don't even know how to take that. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing there. I'm me, man. <laughs> and so, pick up my shoes, put them on, my stuff. But it takes forever sometimes to get through these things. Well, there's this thing called a global access ID. And I noticed this when we were going to Cancun, coming back from Cancun. There's this little aisle like at Six Flags, the, the pass, you know what I'm talking about? And they're just walking right through. And, uh, and, and the TSA people, hey, hey, Bill, hey, hey, George. You know, I'm like, whoa, whoa, that could be a terrorist. What are you doing? That's what I'm thinking. Where does he get off? Well, he has this special ID called a global access ID. Now, anybody can get one. I don't have one. But let me tell you what, what, what's good about them. I mean, you, it, it expedites your travel. You get through stuff because everybody knows that that's who you are if you have one of those IDs. Now, what they do is the FBI goes through a thorough background check, and they, they also do a face-to-face uh, interview with a professional trained profiler to make sure they've got the right guy. And on top of that, they'll, they'll, you know, DNA and all this stuff. They get all that stuff going on. And then they take your fingerprints. They don't just do your thumb. They do all five. Get them all on there. Like you're being booked or something. Why are they doing that? They want to make sure. They just want to make sure you who are who you are. Well, here in First Peter, we see the we see five fingerprints, and I, and by the way, you're probably thinking, whose fingerprint is on my notes there? <laughs> Don't worry about it. You know, we ran the prints; they're clean. Okay, so but 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 we're going to see these five fingerprints here in First Peter, uh, 
chapter 2. Let's look at them. These five fingerprints, these five things that, that Peter mentions here, identify you if you're in Christ. If you want to know who you are and you get in Christ, you're going to discover these five facts, these five things that say, this is who you are. Number one, because I'm in Christ, I am completely accepted. If I'm in Christ, I am completely accepted. That's who I am. I'm an accepted person. All of us here have ex- probably experienced some form of rejection. Am I right? There's the rejection on the playground. Anybody here remember being picked last besides me? Yeah, me too. Picked last. I was four, four and a half. Here I am with my older brother and his friends. We're playing football with no pads, full tackle, NFL rules. This is back in the 60s. And I'm, I'm sitting there on this. I'm four and a half. My brother is nine. All of his friends are nine, ten, eleven. I think they shave and drive cars. That's what I think. These are men. And I'm standing... Okay, let's line up. We're going to play some football. And I jump right up and, and I look over at my brother and he's like, Go sit down. Uh, uh, you don't tell me what to do. I'm standing there, flexing my tendons. I didn't say muscles, my tendons. I was skinny as a rail. And. They're picking. Of course, Donnie Compton, he's picking. He picks the... In football, you pick the bigger kids. And I'm noticing as the... It keeps going, the kids are getting smaller, and I'm getting closer to being picked. And they finally go, well, that's it. And I'm standing by myself. What? You remember that? We get rejected on a playground. Maybe, maybe we, we feel rejected through a divorce with an affair. They come a little bigger, don't they, when we get older? We don't get the promotion. We get fired. Remember, in, remember when you used to pass the notes? I'd pass a note to a girl. Would you go out with me? And I'd get a sympathy card back. I mean, these were bad days. Bad days. Rejection. What you doing Friday night? Well, I'm, I'm busy. Well, okay, I get it. How about Saturday. Uh, well, I'm gonna be, gonna be with my family. How about Sunday? Well, I go to church. Mm. What about Monday? I'm uh, probably gonna be busy then. I'm figuring it out. We get rejected. We don't like being rejected. It hurts. People reject us by the way we look, the way we dress, the way we talk, where we're from, last name. Right? It's never fun. Never enjoyable. And we'll do the craziest things for acceptance. Have you ever done something crazy so that everybody will accept you? My brother one time and Mike Murray, Danny was there. We're at the babysitters. And Mike Murray and my brother, you know, they're big kids, you know. Again, I'm four or five years old. You want to be in our club? Yeah. You got to jump off the roof of the house. Okay. Then I go inside, climb up the steps, go out the bedroom door, and I'm up on the roof, and man, it's way down there. That's a leg breaker. I know it is. There's Mike Murray. I'll tell you what, we'll give you a nickel. 
A nickel? I could get me a push-up. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, my, my older brother's doing this. Still doing that to me. You're so stupid. I jump off the house twice. And I didn't get in the club. I don't think I got the nickel. I saw Mike Murray. I saw Mike Murray in Albion just a year ago. It was at Denise's dad's uh, funeral. And there's Mike Murray. I go, Mike, remember the time? And he goes, oh, I do, Tim. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm bigger than him now. I go, you remember that? He goes, yeah. Yeah. I go, I never got those nickels, buddy. And you're not going to be in my club if I ever have one. What a grudge holder, you know. But we'll do crazy stuff. Can you think of something you've done that's crazy? You've ate something, wore something on a dare? Why? We want to be accepted. We, want, we don't like being rejected. And guys, I'm telling you, the fear of rejection will make you wear the craziest clothes. I grew up in the 70s. I know this well. It'll make you, it'll make you buy a certain car live in a certain house, have a certain job. Think about this. Somebody says to you, you don't want to do that. You want to be this. But your passion is over here. But you know, because of peer pressure, because of the fear of rejection, you choose a career you don't even like. Even our views, even our views that we have, political views, ethical views, are shaped. We can't deny it now by the fear of rejection. That's because of our identity. We're seeking our identity from something on this earth. And so Jesus comes along and says, you know what? You need to know that is not the way to live. That is not your identity at all. In fact, when you're in, in, my, in relationship with me, you're already you're completely accepted, warts and all. Look what it says here. Look what the Bible says here. It says, you have, you have been chosen by God Himself. You know, just like rejection hurts, being chosen is awesome. Isn't it? Man, we, I remember when I was chosen last or wasn't chosen at all. But then I got a little taller and basketball began to be popular. And then to be chosen, we want Gil. All six, four of me, man. You betcha. I can only jump this high, but it didn't matter. I was chosen first. There's something thrilling about that. And guys, I want you to know as a Christian, you being in Christ, you've been chosen first. When God says, who am I going to choose? I choose you first. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, I choose you first. If, if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of God, you are first. I choose you. Get over here. When? When did you choose me, Lord? Did you choose me after I did something? I jump. Is that it? After, or is you based on? No, he look. Look at this next verse. He chose you and I before he created anything else. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before he made a planet and a star, or a valley, or a mountain, or the earth. Before he made light, he goes. I'm going to make. I'm going to choose you. Me? Yeah. And everything else I'm going to make is going to be in relation to you. And look what he says. I choose you to be holy, it says. Back it up. To be holy 
and blameless in His sight in love. God chooses you, and I love this person. I want you. I love you. I choose you. But you haven't even got any place for me to live yet. Just wait. I choose you first. Look at what Titus says. Look how Titus, Paul says it to, to, to Titus here, a young man named Titus. Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. Amen? Look what it does. He does two things. He made us acceptable to God. See, we weren't acceptable to God. Our sins separate us from God. But Jesus Christ, being in Christ, makes us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. He made it and He gave it. If you're in Christ, hallelujah. If you're, if you're a Christian, cut back, sit back and relax a little bit. Take a deep breath here. I'm accepted by God. Yeah, your friends may not accept you. You may get a pink slip this week. So what? Big deal. You're accepted by God. You're accepted by God. When you're in Christ, and I say to you, if you're not a Christian, you're missing it. You're missing it. Number two, because I'm in Christ, I'm extremely valuable. I'm extremely valuable. Not only are you accepted when you're in Christ, that you could say, who are you? I'm accepted. What else? I'm extremely valuable. Look what he says here in the ERV, the easy to read version. You're a holy nation, circle holy. People who belong, circle belong to God. When you're in Christ, you are holy and you belong to someone. Now, why would I want you to circle holy? Well, holy means it's saying that's how valuable you are. You're extremely valuable. How do you, what do you mean, Tim? Well, think about how the word holy is used. The Holy Bible. The Holy Spirit. Bible means book. This is a holy book. What do you, what's perfect? Holy is more about selection than perfection. I used to read this verse and go, okay, he, he's, uh, he says I'm a holy person. No, I'm not. I make mistakes. I sin all the time. I say dumb stuff, do dumb I'm a selfish person. How could he say I'm holy? Well, it has nothing to do with perfection. It has everything to do with selection. You're special, Tim. How am I? Well, yeah, I've had people say that before. No, no, I mean you're special. How is that? Because I pick you. Holy means to take something. The word sanctify, for the, some of you here are used to hearing that word, sanctify. Okay, I always got to say it like that. What's that sanctify mean? Holy and sanctify are really close together. It means to take something like a bunch of stuff that's here and pick one of them and set it apart from the rest. You're special. The holy of holies. What is that all about? Well, there's the holy in the temple. There's this room called the holies. And then inside it, there's a little bit of room called the holy of holies. Well, it's even more special than this special room. What about the temple? It's called the holy temple. That's a special, it's a special building. Everything's see it special, special. It's about selection, not perfection. And if you're in Christ, you are so valuable. You know, well, how do I know I'm valuable? Well, that word belong kind of leaks out at me. You know, one of the ways you can measure something of value is by who owns it. Who does it belong to? I thought about bringing some tennis shoes. Saying, these are my tennis shoes. Tim Gill's tennis shoes. And then if I could find LeBron James's tennis shoes. 
And which ones would you say probably have a little more value on eBay? Uh, thanks. LeBron. I got cowboy hat. Jim Gill owns a cowboy hat. But so does Vince Gill. No relation. Yeah, let's see. Who do you think you... Which hat are you going to want to be seen in or going to wear? Do you know who this was owned by? Who? Vince. Vince Gill. You know, I got, I got a bed. I sleep in the bed. You know, if I want to put it out in a yard sale and say, Tim Gill slept here. And I had another bed that said, Lincoln slept here. Guess which one people are going to go, can I lie in that bed? Mine? No. Lincoln's. I get it. I get it. Some of you have a car. You know, Bill Stagall has a car. Bill. Bill Stagall. Bill. William. Mr. Bill. I'm Mr. Bill. No. No. But Bill. Bill Stagall has a car. Right? And so does Steven Stagall. Now, which one are you going to gravitate to? Well, if you want to be safe, Bill's. Okay, but. Guy might come out and kick you or something. You see that? It's value and possession. So here's a great question to ask yourself. This is why you need to ask yourself, all three groups here today, who do you really belong to? Who do I belong to? Some of you husbands are going, well, her. Well, I belong to my mom and dad. I belong to the government, you know, because I'm paying taxes. Well, I'm just asking, who do you belong to? Tim, I don't have no idea who I belong to. It ought to be Jesus Christ. Because when you belong to Jesus, because that's not what it says. What's that verse say again? How does it say it? It goes, you are a holy nation, those in Christ, a people or people who belong to God. It's ownership. And when you discover, when you, when you, when you recognize the ownership of Jesus Christ, He has on you. you I don't want to say accept it, but in a way, recognize it. Is that the way to say it? When I recognize, okay, He owns me, I'm going to carry myself a little differently. I'm not owned by a preacher or a church. I'm owned by Jesus Christ. How do I carry myself? Matters. There's another thing that that creates value in you and I, or how we gauge value, and that is how much is someone willing to pay for it? True story. Guy comes up to me at work and goes, you got to see this, Tim. A friend of mine bought a coffee pot from the Shipman Auction up there at the Harmon Auction in Shipman. And he showed me a picture of it. It looks like an old beat-up coffee pot. He goes, oh, you haven't heard. He goes, he buys this for a couple of bucks, and he figures, man, I could turn some, get a profit here, take it down to the metal place, and probably it's heavy enough, I bet I could get maybe 15 bucks for it. But he decides at the last minute, since it's so old-looking, he decides, well, I'll put it on eBay first and see what happens. He puts it on eBay. 
And he gets an email shot to him immediately from a buyer saying, do you know what you have? This is one of the first coffee pots, electric coffee pots ever invented. You you realize what you have? It was made in the late 1800s. You better get ready for a bidding war. And what I saw was the bid was up to $22,000. What is going on here? I need to go find some coffee pots. You think that Harmons aren't kicking themselves up at Shipman? (laughs) You know they do. (laughs) You know they would. What a person is willing to pay tells you how much it's va- how valuable it is too. You don't mean a whole lot to Satan. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, he stole you. But you know, he, he isn't interested in what he's going to get for you. All he's interested in is what he can take from you. And God comes along. And what is, how does God feel about something like that? Look at the Bible says in Isaiah 43. This is your Old Testament God. This is the Old Testament God that's supposed to be wrath and lightning bolts and mean. Look what it's, the Bible says here. It really, I'll tell you guys, read your Bible enough, you're going to get your mind changed about how you see God, even in the Old Testament. You are precious to me, he says to Israel. You are precious to me. That's why I'm willing to trade others to give up whole nations to save your life. What do you what is God willing to pay? He says he'd give up people. He would give up people for you, for Israel. That's Old Testament, Tim. Well, let's get a better context. Let's look at 1 Corinthians here in the, in the Living Bible. Look, it says, You've been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to Him. And he says, Therefore, honor God. Honor God with your body. What's he saying here? He's saying, Look, you know, you've been bought and paid for. Oh, how much did it cost Jesus? It cost Him everything so He could have you. Anybody ever love you like that? I can't think of anybody that's done that. I can think of soldiers that have died for the freedom of the United States and I live under that blanket of freedom and that's nice. But they didn't say, I'm going to die for Tim today. Jesus Christ, you know what He thought about on the cross? He thought about you on the cross. While everybody else is thinking of themselves, God on, on the cross thinks about you and hands over, God hands over not a nation, but His only Son. You want to know how valuable you are? The cross tells you. It confirms that. Whenever you wonder how valuable you are, and guys, I tell you, we've got to get this in our head. We've got to get this in our head, Christian. We keep saying, oh, no, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'm junk. Jesus would not die for junk. God is not that dumb. You realize you argue with God when you talk like that. I, I told you a few weeks ago, I'm ta- I've quit saying I'm the wrong guy. I'm going to listen to God and agree with Him. And you know what? Some of you here need to quit arguing with God and trying to talk yourself out of doing something for Him because you're junk. You need to start agreeing with your Creator. 
You need to believe it when it says $22,000. I don't believe it. You just made that website up. Look it up on your phone yourself, Tim. Look it up. Oh my, it's went up. <laughs> up in value. I need to believe what God says. You need to believe what God says about you. If you're in Christ, you can believe this. It is not too good to be true. It's too good to miss. Number three, because I'm in Christ, I'm eternally loved. Because I'm in Christ, I am eternally loved. If someone says, who are you, Tim? I'm acceptable. I know that. I'm valuable. What else, Tim? I'm lovable. Lovable. Anybody? Do you feel lovable? There's times I don't feel very lovable. Why would you want to love me? And some of you remind me, you're not very lovable. I don't want to love you. You get it from me, I give it to you. You know what I'm saying? We, we get it from each other. But when you're in Christ, oh Tim, you are lovable. But I'm a mess. Lovable. I got flaws. Lovable! But I messed up this week, Lovable! But love... Eh. I watched Uncle Buck last night. But, hey, what? Ah, uh, ah, uh, eh. uh, eh. but if... And God said, what's the God saying on the other end? You're lovable, lovable. I got as many of them as you have excuses. Love, 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 love. How long will you love me? See, we get this idea. This is hard for us, guys. Look at the look at this verse. Look at this verse. I got to hurry. I'm running out of time. Look here. Once you were a nobody, now you are God's people. Now that's the way the CEV, the Contemporary English Version, says it. Once you were nobody, but now you're you're one of God's people. You're in His family. God loves everybody in His family. Blanket, God loves everyone, but not everybody loves God. Blanket, God loves everybody, but when you're a Christian, you can know that for sure. You were a nobody, but now you're somebody. And you're somebody that God loves, totally loves you. Others may, be, may not love you, Others may reject you, but your God refuses. He says here, you used to be a nobody, but not anymore. You're in Christ. Look at Hebrews 2.11 says here, Jesus who makes people holy and all those who are made holy have the same Father. That's interesting. He uses it. What's he trying to say? He says, you're, in, you're part of my family now, Tim. And, I, and look here. And that's why Jesus isn't ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. In other words, Jesus who makes, who selects you, makes you holy, you have the same dad. You're in the same family. You're in the same boat. Guys, that's why rejection in the kingdom is so, so dangerous. That we have to be very careful that when we are disciplining people, that it's out of love, not out of rejection. That it's out of helping them share, according to Hebrews, to share in the holiness of God. That's 
sacred special selection. I'll tell you, every time I size somebody, and I'm, I, I do this. I, I'm guilty of this. I size people up in the kingdom. I make up my mind. I don't think I'm the only person in this room that does this. And we kind of avoid, or we kind of just not, we don't, you don't notice them as much as others. And just as soon as you start playing that game, guys, where we're sizing everybody, each other up, just remember, it's one sinner sizing another sinner up. They're probably sizing you up too. Jesus is not ashamed. I can think of members of my family that I'm ashamed of. I can. Can you think of some uncles? An Uncle Buck? An aunt? A crazy cousin? They embarrass you and you're ashamed? You're not going to be there, are they? We're having a reunion. They're not going to be there, are they? You say, Tim, be careful. I'm tempted to go look over at them right now. I'm not don't look at them. Don't give you, don't tip your hand. They may be looking at you. Jesus is not ashamed of you. I pick my nose. Jesus is not ashamed of you. I spiritually pass gas. It's embarrassing, Lord. I know. I'm not ashamed of that, Tim. Safety. I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> now we talk about that. I know that's that's. I don't mean to offend anybody, but you know what I'm saying. There are things that people do that we're ashamed of in the kingdom. We do that we're ashamed of personally. And Jesus says, "I'm not ashamed of you, unless you're ashamed of me." You hear me? The Bible says, "If I'm ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of me." See, there's two things I need to remember about the love of God. Two things I need to remember. Look at this passage in Jeremiah. We read that. We read it this week in our daily Bible. I have always loved you, so I continue to show you my constant love. Two things I noticed in that passage, Jeremiah. By the way, Israel's going through the ringer. They're going through the discipline of God. Nebuchadnezzar's about to come over the wall with his army. It's near 586 B.C. The, the temple's about to be destroyed. The rest of God's people are about to be taken out of the holy city. It's all coming down in a hurry. It's bad in Israel. And Jeremiah says, "Oh, but God said this, I always loved you, so I continue to show you my constant love. How? It's, it's a mess right now. I will always love you, even if it gets messy. Two things I need to remember about God's love. It's unconditional and unending. God doesn't love me, and He doesn't love you. Guys, this is our problem. We conditionalize love. Why? Because we love that way. And we just assume God loves this way. Well, God, I love conditionally. If you do this, then I'll love you. So God must love me the same way. He doesn't love like that at all. See, God doesn't have love. He is love. He just loves. It's His thing. It's what He does. It's who He is. The Bible says God is love. And see, that messes with us. Because we have these conditions. Well, if somebody does this, then I'll love them. Or because they do this, then I love them. And God says, there's no if, no because. I just love you. 
Well, that's going to make, make people lax about their lives. I, it, I'm going to tell you, somebody that loves me like that doesn't make me lax about my sin. I don't have anybody else in the world that loves me like God. You have nobody else in the world that loves you like Jesus Christ. Nobody. Oh, you get a glimpse of it now and then when the wife's in a good mood or the husband's in a good mood or the kids are cooperating. You get a taste of it for a nanosecond, but it never lasts, does it? But His love is unending. It's, an, it's unconditional. And if you're in Christ, you can be sure that He will always love you. Even, even when you mess up and He has to discipline you, it'll be not to harm you, but to help you become who you're supposed to be. Look at this. I love this. Psalms 100 here. The Lord is good. There is no end to His faithful love. We can trust Him forever and ever. God will never stop loving you. I want you to know this morning, if you're in Christ, relax. God's never going to stop loving you. If you're not, not a Christian, don't relax. God's going to love you, but He might... He might spank you a few times to get your attention. Sin might remind you, I need to get right with God. Number four, because I'm in Christ, I'm totally forgiven. There's another thing we struggle with. Who are you, Tim? Well, because I'm a Christian, I'm acceptable. You know, what else? Well, I'm lovable. I'm, I'm, I'm forgivable. You're forgivable? Yeah. You're forgivable. Valuable. You're forgivable. Once you, look at this, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's the difference between somebody in Christ and out of Christ. A person's mercy is extended to everybody, guys. But if you're in Christ, you receive it. You experience it. He's saying, there was a time when you didn't have mercy in your life. You didn't have God's mercy. And if somebody asked you, who are you? You know, you could say, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And what's God's response to sin? Think about this for a minute. When you, when you hear somebody say, what's God's response to sin? What's the first thought that goes through your mind? Wrath. You know, God's gonna. I. You know, this week I did something nobody else knows, but He does. And I've had a string of bad luck because God is out to get me. Can you ever think like this? If I'm good, life will be good. If I'm bad, life will be bad because God will make sure it's bad. And then I read in the Bible where people are following God wholeheartedly and they're beheaded and killed. I'm going, they must have done something bad. No. You know, guys, I tell you, God doesn't have to do a lot to, to our lives to get us in line. Sin does a pretty good job on its own, huh? I mean, <laughs> this is so stupid. I don't even want to talk. It's embarrassing. I, yesterday... I'm at this shop and I'm working on this sermon trying to get the finishing touches on it, you know. And try, I've been putting in auto glasses. So my life is just topsy-turvy right now. And so I'm putting in finishing touches and then I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, I, I get, I start doing my quiet time and I'm going to send out the daily text. And so I'm sending it out and I'm walking along and bang! I run right into the garage door. This is the second time I've done this in my life now. 
But this was just right. I didn't even see it coming. I didn't even see it coming. And I thought it was going to knock me out. And I look in the mirror, and you can see the, 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 the pattern of the door in my forehead. And you see it, Tim. What are you saying? Well, I got this. My first thought was, uh-oh, am I doing something wrong, Lord? Yeah, you're forgetting to duck. God isn't going around going, okay, Tim, you messed up. A little higher, angel. There it is, right there. It'll hit him perfect. But we think this. We think this. And God is not, I heard Jim McGuigan say, God is not in the damning business. No, it's his nature. It's the way he, in fact, uh, how does, how does God respond then to sin? Wrath, lightning, pestilence, plague, strike him dead. Uh, it reminds me of an old, uh, movie. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want them all dead. And we think, is that God? Is that why God is like some gangster? No. No. What's, when God gets a chance to really show how He feels about sin, or what are you going to do about sin, what's He do? It's on a cross. Now listen, I know there's places in the Bible where God strikes people dead, plagues come, it's a group of people. Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, I get it. But when He has a chance to say to the whole world something, you know what He says to the whole world? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His response to sin is, I want to forgive. I want to forgive. See, God is not trying to get even with me. He's trying to get me to the identity that He made you and I to be. Look what it says here. Let's read this together. There is no condemnation... For those who are in Christ Jesus. I skipped a word. Did you notice it? Huh? Yeah, let's read it again. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's read it again. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to see this over and over again. How much condemnation is there? None. What's no mean? Really? Not a Zippo! My dating life at 16. That's what it is! Zippo! No condemnation. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, there's condemnation. Would you say I didn't come to the world to condemn the world but to save the world? But you keep reading John 3 and he says, Now, there is a judge. There is a judge. You know, if you're not in Christ, you have condemnation in your life. No wonder you're miserable. But there's no condemnation for those in Christ. What's that saying? God forgives when you're in Christ. Look at this next verse. These are just verses that I, I find. Look at this. There's another Old Testament, God likes to kill everybody verse. You know, passage. This is not what it says. Look what it says. I am the God who forgives your sins. And I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. God's not interested in grudge, holding grudges against you. 
He's interested in forgiving you. That's who He is. He delights in it. The Bible says He delights in it. Ephesians 1 says, In Christ we're set free by the blood of His death, and so we have forgiveness of sins. How rich is God's grace. That was penned by Apostle Paul who killed people who, who got in Christ. And he goes, it's so rich. Oh, how we need to believe this today. I used to think if we believe there's no condemnation from, by being a Christian, therefore I'm going to be real lax about my sin. And what I've experienced is the opposite. The opposite. We take the Lord's Supper. We think about Jesus dying on the cross. It doesn't make you lax about your sin. But yet, every week we take the Lord's Supper not to shame us, but to celebrate. To celebrate forgiveness from God. You are forgiven. And somebody may remind you, you blew that, you did that, I'll never forgive you. Well, that's their problem. God don't have a problem. When you're in Christ, you are forgiven. Praise God. Number five, because I'm in Christ, I'm fully capable. Here's your last fingerprint. Look at it says here, but you are chosen people, royal priests. You are, a cho- you are you were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of the darkness, out of darkness into his wonderful light. God says you're a priest, one translation version says, a priest of the king. A priest of the king of kings. Me, a priest? I'm not a priest. You're getting confused with Catholicism, folks. Do I wear a collar backwards or something? No, no, no. That's not, that's not, that's not, we're talking about a, he's talking about a priest that's in the Old Testament. He says you're a priest, a royal priest, royal priests. You're special priests. What is a priest, Tim? Does that mean I take confessions from people? Is that, do I need to walk around in some big outfit? Absolutely not. No, he's saying because you're in Christ, you're a priest. That means you have a mission. What was the purpose of a priest? A priest did two things. He brought people to God and God to people. He brought people to God and God to people. That's what a priest did. Jesus Christ was a priest, a high priest, in the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? A lot of stuff. But what did he do? He brought people to God and God to people. You're a priest. Oh, man, I'm not, uh, you don't want me to be a priest. We're not talking about a perfect person here. You're a priest. You're here to serve. You're here to do something, not just soak up everything, but to do something. Look how Paul says it. Here's how Paul says God one time. He's talking to God, or, or God's talking. He's talking to King Agrippa, and he quotes God in Acts 26. It's up here on the screen. And look what he says to King Agrippa. He says, this is what God told him. I have chosen you to be my servant. I want you to see how many times you notice a fingerprint from 1 Peter 2 in this passage. See if there's any words that kind of leap out. I have chosen you to be my servant. You'll tell people about me. You'll make them able to understand the truth. They will turn away from darkness to the light. They will turn away from the power of Satan and they'll turn to God. Then their sins can be forgiven and they can be given a place among God's people. Those who have been made holy by believing in me. 
You see all the, all those little, you just want to cover your bulletin, I got those little dots. They're there on purpose this week. A positive ID. You ever seen CSI where they do that and they find a match? They have these points. That's what Peter's talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. These are little points that make the identity a positive match. And what are they, Tim? That I'm valuable, that I'm lovable, that I'm forgivable, that I'm acceptable, and I'm capable. Oh, Tim, I can't do this. I, you know, guys, I, listen, I think I've never heard more excuses at Greater Alton than I have in the last year. Why people can't do anything for God. I'm, I just moved in somewhere, or I'm going to school, or I'm, I just got married, or, or I got this job that's real demanding. Let me tell you, I don't want to hear your crap about your demanding job. You gonna talk to me about a demanding job? Give me a break. I'm putting in auto glass every day for eight plus hours and trying to do everything else. You say, well, you, sh- you should do less like me. I don't want to do less like you. If you're that kind of mentality, let me tell you, you are killing the kingdom of God. You say, well, I can't do it because I'm incapable. <laughs> I prove it every week how incapable I am up here. Oh, Tim, you're doing a marvelous job. It ain't ain't because of me, folks. If I could find a way to get out of this, I would run. But God just won't let me go. And I think God reminds some of you every week, you know you need to be doing that. You need to be doing that. You need to do that. Come on, step up and do that. I don't think I can be a leader. I can't do that. I see some of these other leaders that look so overworked. Well, they're doing their job and your job. What if everybody did their job? Last time I checked, it's easier to lift something when everybody's lifting it. Preach. I can help myself. Come on, Tim! Okay. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I'm not capable. I'm unable. You're, of course you're not capable. You're not the only person in the room. You got some company of incompetence in this room. Everybody's incapable. God's asking you and I to do something, sinners to do something deetic, if there's such a word. Something from heaven. This is hard stuff. So how do you do it, Tim? How do you do it? God does it. God does it. That's how it's done. You know, it's funny to me. I find this it's so exciting. From then on, after Paul's conversion, you know who he refers himself to? He refers himself as a servant of God. What's he saying? I'm a priest, Tim. I'm just serving God. And if he says, do that, then I do that. If I'm, if I'm nudged this way, then I go this way. And here we get confused. We think when people are nudging us, that's some person. And all this stuff about being devoted to God and to God only... Sometimes we can de-emphasize the role people, Christian people, play in our lives. Amen? We've got to remember that God's going to use a person to say, step it up or pick it up or come on, you can do this. And let's quit, let's quit with the excuses, guys. Let's quit with the excreasons. Excreas- What's an excreason? Oh, that's a reason. It's really an excuse. We make up all the time. Well, I can't do that. I'm not capable of that. 
You see, listen to me. I know I'm, you got to. I want you to hear this. Don't. This is a part of that twenty percent. You got to remember. Okay, pinch yourself so don't forget this. If you don't think you're a priest, if you're in Christ and you say, I, I, I deny being a priest. I, I reject the idea of being a priest. You're rejecting Christ Himself. Because when you're in Christ, you're in His ministry too. This is not a club. This isn't entertainment every Sunday. Is that what it's going to be? Is that all it is to some of you? Or is it going to change you? I really appreciate... we got some young adults here. They're, they are really trying to reach out to some people, guys. And I'll tell you, it's exciting to watch them. They, they're, we got some young adults that are finally figuring this out. And they're going, I'm going to get somebody here to church. I'm going to get somebody in my home. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to some people and I'm going to start sharing my faith with people, and I'm going to start touching the world. That's exciting. It's very exciting to see. They're not capable. You say, don't tell them. They already know. What, they, what you and I need to hear is what they're hearing. God is capable. God is capable. Look, I know I've got, look at this verse. Look at this verse here. There is nothing in us that allows us to claim that we are capable of doing this work. Paul's talking here. Same guy who said he's been chosen as a servant. The capacity we have comes from God. It is He who made us capable of serving the new covenant. You see, guys, this morning, I want to ask yourself... You look at this, what Paul's saying, what's he saying? God gives me the capacity. I didn't have it to begin with, and I won't have it without him. He's made me capable. He'll make you capable. Whatever excuse you have, Paul's got a bigger one. He could throw it right at you too. But, but the world doesn't change from excuse making. It comes from making a choice to be his servant. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning. I want to say this to you. We're going to watch a short video here. Get it ready, Pat. I want to ask you this morning this question. Who are you going to believe? I, it hit me this morning, Danny. I was at, at, at the office putting this, looking at this one last time. It hit me. You know, we always say the goal of what the Bible teaches, says is application. We say that a lot here. God wants to apply application. You know, that's Satan's goal too. His goal is to, for you to apply what He's saying to you and teaching you as well. So the question is, who am I going to believe? Because it will play out in my application. Who will I believe? Will I find my identity in people, in my problems? Will I find it in my Christ, in my Jesus? Who will I believe? Because see, a lot of times, guys, the reason we're so mixed up is because we choose to believe our critics and our problems and all this other stuff that's telling us Satan himself over the Lord. Look at this video as we close out today. Have you got it, Pat?
You don't know me. 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 What you see on the outside isn't the whole story. Isn't the whole story. Isn't the whole story. What you see on the outside isn't the whole story. I am not defined by the way I dress. I am not defined by my age. By my age. I am not defined by my cancer. By my skin color. I'm not defined by my color. I'm not defined by my skin. So then who am I? Who am I? So then who am I? So then who am I? Who am I? So then who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I am defined by one man. I am defined by one man. One man. By one man. I am defined by one man. I am defined by one moment. I am defined by one moment. By one moment. By one moment. One moment. I am defined by one moment. I am defined by one love. One love. One love. One love. By one love. I am defined by one love. I am defined by Jesus. I am defined by Jesus. I am defined by Jesus. I am defined by Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ. I am defined by Jesus Christ. I am defined by Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for thank you for clearing up our confusion. Father, you sent Jesus Christ to clear up this identity crisis that we we seem to keep facing over and over as as Christians as a church. Lord, we pray, I pray this morning, Lord, that that we're able to sort out here a little better what makes us who we are, that it's you. Not, and Lord, I think about, I just think about, fathers, for some of us here, we've had things that have stolen our identity. A divorce, a rape, abuse, a job loss, bankruptcy, criticism at work, criticism at home, I think about, Father, disease, death, all these things that have happened to us and all these people that, we, that we've somehow run into, good and bad, have shaped who we are right now, how we see ourselves. And Lord, help us this morning to look past those and find our identity just in Your Son, Jesus, to let this one man, this one love, and that one moment on the cross seal the deal for us this morning and say, you know what, that's who I'm going to be and that's who I am. Let us see, Father, we are. You make us. Your Son has made us acceptable. Father, Your Son has has made us valuable. Some of us here just don't realize how valuable. Oh, help us grasp it, Father. We may have to hear it again and again and again and again. Maybe we have to take that verse, Father, from First Peter there and just put it on a card and put it somewhere in our car, on our computer screen, put it somewhere to where we see it 
maybe every day for a long time. Help us see, Father, we're forgivable. Let us see that you, that you make us forgivable, Father, that you make us capable. What, what we miss, what we're, we fall short in, Father, we depend on you to make up for the rest. This week, we're going to be reminded over and over and over again where we fall short. Maybe it's our sin. Maybe it's a weakness. Whatever it be, Lord, let us trust you, believe you over the demons, whatever shape they, they, or form they come in, to believe you and find our true identity. We're taking a song right now, Father, we're going to use to write on some cards. And then Father will sing another and the service will be over. But Father, we pray that the lesson will not be over. That it will be just the beginning of finding our true selves. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.